mic now. Um, during the month of Elul, we traditionally blow the shofar every day, except Shabbat. And we never blow the shofar on Rosh Kodesh, because biblically, it's commanded that the Levites would do so. So we're absconding with their opportunity by doing so. Um, so during the month of Elul, that's when you would want to blow it every day and let your neighbors know you're weird and the judgment is coming. So I want to encourage you, if you've got a shofar, and I know you've got at least two, um, blow that bad boy, blow that bad boy, blow that bad boy. Um, At the start of the day, it's a... The, the, one of the last psalms that you read in Shacharit, it says it's Psalm 27, and it, it'll say right there in the instructions, during the month of Elul, the shofar is sounded at point. this point. So, so yeah, every morning with the kids, we've been, okay. we recite Psalm 27 after Shacharit, and then we'll blow the shofar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, for me, one of the best things is just getting in some practice. For the yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so uh, yeah. the whole the whole shofar uh, service on uh, Yom Teruah, you get the practice blow. So blow it every day, except Shabbos. We don't blow it on Shabbat because Shabbat is a taste of the world to come. It's a taste of the days of Messiah, and we would not be blowing the shofar at that point. To draw men to repentance because of that. Uh, the Tashlik service uh, is already on the. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Also, not Arab Rosh Hashanah. Right. Arab Rosh Hashanah, you would so not blow not, it because you want to set it off Rosh as the Rosh Hashanah truly is called biblically Yom Teruah, the mm -hmm. day of blowing. So to set it off and make it special, we don't blow the day before. Um, so uh, the Tashik service on Yom Teruah is uh, is coming up. It's already on the meetup. I believe you're on the meetup now. Um, is there an email that gets sent out if you are? Yeah. I have not received an email. So search for Men of Torah on meetup and join Bellator. that meetup group. Bellator. I beg your pardon. Bellator. Okay. And uh, you'll get all of the, when is Shakari, when are we having the, Services next, you know, this Shabbat, for example, Tashlik, uh, the Kol Nidre service on uh, Arab Yom Kippur, uh, Shakrit service. Is that yours or Joshua's? Well, that's a great question. I think we'll probably take Minka. Minka, one of those. Yeah. usually do it, but I don't know what they're going to do this yeah, year. Yeah, but I, I saw the one for you guys. I guess Minka. Yeah. Um, so all those are out there. So to join that, if you have any trouble, give me a shout or email me and I'll help you. I have found that the Tashlik service has been emotionally moving for a lot of people, especially those that are uh, in the church and have no idea what we're doing. And it's really a, a pretty cool deal. So I would encourage you, invite anybody you know to come on. Um, I guess the most dramatic event was uh, probably three, four years ago. We were in the middle of the Tashlik service and we were blowing the shofar, and this young couple walked up the side of the, the hill we were on, through the brush, and broke through the brush, 
and came out and said, we heard the shofar, we're Jews, so we came. And we had the opportunity at that point to uh, share about uh, Messiah Yeshua. Um, extraordinary. It really was, I mean, you, you couldn't have, we couldn't have paid him. Did you pay we couldn't, have, we couldn't have paid anybody <laughs> that would have, that uh, more. That would have been pretty right. cool. Yeah, it would have been pretty weird. That, but, uh, that would have been odd. That was, uh, that was the deal. So that's, uh, that's the final thing on, uh, on those deals. Uh, I do want to welcome uh, David McDonald, Tom Brown, Brock Wright, Shannon Perego, and of course uh, Joshua Spurlock, who is home with Richard Spurlock, my newest grandson, who's got to be one of the most handsome young fellows. I've ever seen with hands like puppy's feet. Unbelievable. The guy's going to be ginormous. But he comes from Viking blood, so I get it. All right. So enough of uh, updates, and now we're... we've had Aaron practicing his grappling. That's a good idea. Just be able to uh, still win despite his size difference. <laughs> that is great. So... Um, Greg Upham is uh, just finishing up dinner and hopefully he'll be able to uh, join us. We're on lesson 32. So we have uh, Paul's letter to the Assembly of Corinth, um, chapter 14. Um, basically, spiritual gifts, easy deal. Um, what's, uh, what's Paul say is the most important gift? Prophecy, slam dunk, that's the one. So uh, I grew up uh, in the Methodist church, we were very staid and quiet people. There's no reason to bring the Bible to church because the pastor has one, mm -hmm. that's what I was told. Um, <laughs> and uh, when I got out of the army, uh, the first time I was, uh, I was recently saved, miraculously and dramatically, on uh, on my drive up the Jersey Turnpike, where I stopped and uh, got out of the car on the side of the road and put my uh, white gloves. I was in dress blues with a sword and everything. Pretty cool. And I, uh, it was my last day in the Army. It was a big deal for me. And I, uh, I got out of the car. I closed the door and I leaned up. I kneeled down in the gravel on the side of the Jersey Turnpike. And I, I leaned up against that dirty, dusty, brown pinto. And I asked, uh, I asked God to kill me and raise up a new creature in Messiah. He was faithful to do that on the 27th of March, 1981. And uh, we don't talk about that previous man very often. But I'm grateful for what he's done for me. And uh, I drove the rest of the way up the turnpike, over the bridge, and onto Long Island to find that my parents had left and had moved to uh, Alaska, 30 to 35 miles north of the Arctic Circle. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I had a house on Long Island, right on the uh, moments from Long Island Sound. I quickly connected with a uh, Bible-believing church. I didn't realize it was uh, charismatic. <laughs> and uh, I was baptized into Messiah Yeshua. And when I came up out of the water, there was applause. The pastor turned off his mic and then told me that I could get out of the water, dry off, and go down the hall, second door on the right, was where I would learn how to speak in tongues. So, uh, pretty wild. That was, uh, was a different deal for a Methodist. So, why was the push on speaking in tongues if Paul says prophecy is the greatest gift? There was no door for prophecy. It's exactly right that you die. Yeah, you know that that one's hard to that one's hard to come up with. I was going to say fake, but I won't say fake. But that one's a, a harder thing to do. The Lord surely is is in that um, because Deuteronomy twelve and thirteen are very clear about if, if prophecy is given and it doesn't come to pass, this is a false prophet, and you need to stone him. So maybe the uh, maybe the folks in in that little long island town were a little scared of that. I don't know. And then if they lead you away. If a prophet prophesies something that doesn't come to pass. Then he's a false yeah. He's a false prophet. And he should be stoned. Whether to tell whether or not he's telling the truth, if there's no prophecy involved, is whether or not he's leading you to serve gods you've not served before, you've not heard about. So, uh, I gave you Isaiah chapter 28 to take a look at. And uh, he, along with Paul, talks about folks coming to the Jews to teach them or teach them a lesson, if you will. Uh, and they are speaking a different tongue. They are not something that the Jews can recognize. Both of them use this, and I thought Isaiah 28 was strictly a reference to the end times, um, but Paul's using that same, same deal here in uh, verses 20 and 21 in 1 Corinthians. Um, it, it matches almost perfectly with Isaiah 28, 9, and 11, as well as Deuteronomy 28 and Jeremiah 5. It seems that in the end times, people of a foreign tongue are going to come and kick some, uh, kick some butt in, in Israel. So what was, your, what was your take on that? Was that new to you? Did you, did you learn anything? Did you, did you think, hmm, I should learn Russian? But I wait straight you towards a kingdom that is north of Israel or anything like that. But yeah. <laughs> That's what that anybody? Anything? That that was I mean it was very interesting to see how often that that phrase kind of keeps coming up about 
foreign tongues. Foreign and tongues. It's yeah. a, it, to me, it kind of came across as like almost like how severe Ooh. that's going to be. You know, like because a lot of times I think if you people get wowed by the foreign or by something new, yeah, and if that's not even going, it's almost like if that's that won't even work. Like e- even the the newness of like someone from a different country or a different you know nations of a different tongue that still is not going to convince you yeah. you know in, in that prophecy in Isaiah so that's just a scary step it is scary good anybody else as I read it I was reading as say if you're praying in Hebrew Hebrew is a new tongue for you right mm-hmm. and so yeah. all of a sudden you pick up Hebrew and you're, you're praying in Hebrew but you have no idea what you just said but it's beautiful Okay. It's, you're you're praising God. You're you're. But does anybody else in your congregation right there understand what you're saying? No, because sure. you're all from foreign tongue. You're, sure. You don't yeah. speak the holy yeah. tongue, and so it would be better to give words of prophecy of Yeshua will return. Yeah, that's prophecy. Yeah, or or I think. Uh, um, even better that there would be some kind of prophecy that was specific to you. Okay. So I stand up and say, your left leg's going to, you know, just kind of turn black and fall off. And while I'm speaking, your left leg turns black and fall, falls off. You know, that's that's dramatic. That would kind of get your attention. It's a bit yeah. graphic. It's, it's, not, a bit it's graphic. not encouraging or consoling. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, so uh, Joshua writes that he wasn't getting the end times reference since Babylon or Rome are both considered north and foreign tongues however Paul uses both to make the point that tongues are actually a judgment for non-believers for believers or believers to be it's a sign as in Acts uh, but the words being spoken are what's most important and that's, that's exactly right that the prophecy would be something encouraging or exhorting or something that you could identify with and recognize that's got to be from God. And it's not something generic like you'll have a great day tomorrow. I mean, yeah, okay, that probably is true. Your car will move. Yeah, but this would be something more specific that would make someone go, as Paul says, it hits his heart. He's taken by it and is cut to the quick and and wants to turn to God. That's the the whole prophecy thing. Whereas speaking in tongues, and as I was saying back when when I was uh, saved, um, there were several folks that would speak in tongues on a regular basis. And unfortunately, I, I guess they hadn't read this, but there was nobody to interpret it. So everybody would just kind of drop their jaw and go, wow, <laughs> cool, man. And that, that was pretty much it. That reaction would be amazing. Yeah. Just so that's the deal. I think it's cool that you mention specifically like the blessings and the curses, you know, uh, in the study guide, because that, like most of the prophecy, I mean, to your point, right? Like it could be, you know, you could say something very generic and, you know, anyone could have said that. But 
what's interesting is like most of the prophecy it feels like builds off of Deuteronomy. Yeah. Like this idea of like, well, I'm not I, like if you needed any proof about the fact that judgment is coming, like here it is in the Torah. Right. Before it's, it happens. You do this, this happens. Boom. And I'm just here telling you it's about to happen. Yeah. And it's just it's a very like it's it, it that their word, their prophecy carries so much more weight and validity when they are building off of these established like laws yeah. throughout the yeah. Torah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Other comments on that? So, to Gregory's point, I, I don't get it, quite frankly. Paul is writing to a community of decidedly non-Jews who have given their lives to Messiah Yeshua. And as Greg just said, he's, he's talking about, these are the curses that happen to you if you don't keep the Torah, if you are disobedient to the Torah. And these are the blessings. But he's focusing in on the curses. Okay. Why would that have anything to do with a non-Jew? If he's not expected to keep the Torah. I, I think this is completely out of context and completely inapplicable. Unless there was an expectation, on, at least on Paul's part, that we would be keeping the Torah and being obedient to the Torah now that we've accepted Messiah Yeshua and have been engrafted into the Israel of God, if you will. What? Why would he even talk about this? If it doesn't apply to us, it only applies to Jews. Am, am I missing something? Am I am I reading into that, or are we are we good there? Yeah. Okay. Um, Joshua asks: Is prophecy just predicting the future, or is it any message from God? Because, like, wouldn't we say, like, the, the whole term apostle is, like, this person that is carrying a message from God? Yeah. But we, so we wouldn't call them a prophet. Um, so since there's two in, different terms... In fact, terms, he goes further and actually delineates apostles and prophets as being different yeah. gifts of the Spirit. Since there's kind of two different terms, I would maybe suggest that, no, it's it's... There, are, there is a difference there. Is it that prophecy is only about predicting the future? I'm not sure about that. But I do think there is a difference between somebody that has a message from God and a prophet. I just don't know what exactly the difference is. Okay. Um, just based on the fact that there are two different terms. Yeah. Anybody else? I don't want to jump in without giving you guys an opportunity. I mean, I've always heard prophecy can be twofold. It can be foretelling, as in the future. Yes. But it can also be foretelling, as in the past and present, with regards to the word that is brought um, for that day. So um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a thing that's going to happen, but a warning based off of what's already been written according to the word. Um, I like that. Um, I would bring us back. Uh, to uh, 
1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? <coughs> but if everyone prophesies and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. To me, that does not speak of future events as much as reality. Current. This is the this is the facts. These are the facts. And so forth. People so, call that a word of knowledge. Exactly, or a word from the Lord. Telling something about yourself. A rhema, or whatever it may be. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. No. Yeah. With Yeshua calling when I saw, I saw you under the big tree. I saw you, yes. Yeah, yeah. With, uh, and he's like, what's his name? Uh, uh, is that Andrew? Uh, yeah. I think he's one of Peter's brothers. Yeah. Kepha's brother. I don't think it was Andrew. Who was it? Philip. Philip. It's yeah. Philip, right? Yeah. I saw you under the fig tree. Yeah. He's like, Lord, yeah. you're you're the son of God, right? Yeah. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. You think this is cool? Wait, I got some pretty cool stuff coming that's going to blow so you So you're saying it's more along that line? I think so, yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that's... That's what I'm getting from Paul, right? Not necessarily a, um, a, a future thing. That, you know, we've got to wait three or four weeks to find out. Um, Joshua writes the account of Medad and Bedad, uh, Medad and Eldad, uh, and Moses, wishing that all would prophesy. Sounds like Paul's in Numbers 11. So I'm thinking it's the same type of prophecy. Some word. From God, or as you said, a, a word from the Lord, or a rhema, or whatever uh, today's assemblies are calling. So, cool. Okay. So, did you catch the Psalmos thing? The Psalm, you know, I just I read the New American Standard, the English Standard, a lot, and. Uh, I think uh, I was talking to uh, Alex and Jonathan about next week's lesson, um, which is uh, already online and ready for you guys. Uh, you're going to do Second Corinthians in one fell swoop. Um, I did not see halakhic issues and stuff like that uh, so much in this letter. Um, so I figured we'd just take a look at... Uh, some of the theology in there, specifically in Second Corinthians chapter three, um, and to that effect, and we were talking about it. Um, looking at the way the translators translate things, I think is important, and we, we may see some stuff there uh, next week. But in the meantime, um, in Ephesians five nineteen, the Psalms are the word Samos is translated as psalm and uh, hymn, hymnos, by the way, in Greek, uh, is translated properly there, but in 1426 it's not. So, before uh, we spend uh, a lot of time and, and lose, lose track, what's the deal with the women? Can somebody read, uh, yeah, oh boy, can somebody read 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 35, out loud for us, please. For God is not a God of unruliness, but of shalom. As in all the congregation of God's people, let the wives remain silent when the congregation meets. 
they are certainly not permitted to speak out. Rather, let them remain subordinate, as also the Torah says, and if there is something they want to know, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak out in a congregational meeting. I just don't care. I mean, yes, we, I mean, the men are the head of their clans and head of their household and stuff. Maybe it was different back then. But nowadays, women do have that um, choice and ability to speak. But maybe, you? maybe I'm really? just, well, I don't know, maybe some certain cases, maybe. You mean in the, in the, uh, in the assembly? Yeah, yeah. So you, like so you think that the word of God has changed? No, no, no. Oh, but that's what it said, oh, no. right? So in America, women have the vote. Yeah. Women have the opportunity to speak yeah. and so forth, and we are equal, co-equal in the law and so forth. So it bothers you that... I mean, it, no, no, it doesn't bother me, I'm saying no, okay. it sounds Stand your ground. odd. Stand it, yeah. stand it, man. Stand it sounds ground. odd to me. It does know. sound odd. Is there anybody to whom it does not sound odd? It does sound odd. <laughs> but why? If this is the scripture, and we believe that the scripture is timeless, like the Constitution, big problem in America today is that the progressives want to progress away from the Constitution and make it more of a living document that changes with time. That's exactly what the liberals want to do with the scriptures. Women shouldn't be downtrodden, put down, and so forth as if that's what the Bible does or as if that's what Judaism does. Quite the opposite, I would say, but I think Caleb's right. Everybody who reads this and is a feminist or progressive wants to say, wait a second, that's terrible, let's throw the Bible away. Or those of us who are, are sensitive to the fact that at least my wife's a heck of a lot smarter than me. If that's a fact. Demonstrable fact. Then these things that they write make us say, hang, hang on. I mean, is that really what God intended? Is that really how it should be? So what say you, gentlemen? I'll defend your point for you in a different, on a different curve here. Um, I'd say what Paul was saying was accurate and only because of the context in which he was coming from. And that context was the role of the woman versus the man during that period. Which is where Greg Upham is just texted and coming from. That we go back to chapter 11, and it's a matter of authority, not one of simply speaking. We consider this, it was the men who went to shul, to the synagogue, to study, and the women took care of the family matters, the children, raising them and upbringing them. And they weren't studied in the Torah whether they were able to even read Hebrew or even understand what it said, the concept was if you are ignorant of the law, you don't have any authority to stand up and explain it over someone who, in this instance, does. Uh, so the men would be who have studied to be able to speak in the assembly. Correct. And the women who haven't studied shouldn't shouldn't and have to take care of the family and I would I would say even if you take out the family reference we practice that in Bellator 
we practice it here in, in Minotaur. If you didn't do your homework, if you didn't read the, t the scripture, keep your mouth shut. I mean, we don't, we don't need to hear your opinion. We've got God's opinion, and we want to hear your thoughts on God's opinion, not your opinion. That's, that's been the rule since day one. If you didn't do your homework, you're not allowed to talk. Simple as that. Now, some guys have actually not shown up because they didn't do their homework, which is sad. Um, but I prefer they would show up and at least listen. Um, you've got a comment, and then I've got Joshua here as well. Go ahead. Just, just along the lines of what you're saying, when there's people in the room that know more about Jewish tradition and stuff, we want to want to listen to that, and we're not going to try to debate about it if we don't know anything about it. And, and when somebody that doesn't know much about the scripture speaks out a lot in the room, everybody kind of hears the mistakes and the errors, and then maybe later might mention to them softly what the mistake was so yeah. they don't embarrass themselves to the room again. Yeah. You know. Or they don't even mention it at all. Um, I am loath to give someone the opportunity to lead a class like this because it is so hard. Because we've got, at, at, at some points, a lot of people listening who don't know the scriptures, who don't know what they believe yet. And somebody in the class says something, and it violates the scripture. I mean, that's Alex is brand new to me. This guy opens his mouth, and I am like hanging on every word, and I've got to parse it in in all the scriptures that I know. So if he says something wrong, I can immediately slam on it and go, "Hang on, that's not what the scripture says." And I think you guys have seen me do that. Um, I'm, I'm using Alex as an example, not because he does not know the scriptures. It's obvious he does. And I, I praise God that he's here. Um, but we've had other folks here who have said stuff. Uh, and the most recent example, um, prior to Alex uh, being here, uh, I can remember that uh, Gregory and, uh, and I think Scott clearly, quietly, but on, on, on the microphone, rebutted what was said to say, no, no, that's, that's actually not what the scripture says. Um, it's a hard deal to do and to lead a class and not let everybody go astray is extraordinarily difficult. Um, and and I, I, I take that seriously, uh, as I know you guys do. Um, so, thank you. Um, Joshua says, the only Torah reference I can consider in the context you know when he when he starts to talk, he, he tends to talk for a bit because he's you know he wants to make his point. He, you know he does the same thing when he writes. It's kind of like so, so, so give me a second here while I read everything here. Mm -hmm. Oh Joshua, I love you. Uh, the only Torah reference I can consider in this context at all would be in the context of vows, where a woman's words should be under the their husband's authority, and the words spoken under the woman caught in adultery. She agrees verbally in the case, in the curse, which is a shameful context. However, there must be something more to what Paul is discussing given that Deborah was a judge and <laughs> Miriam was a prophetess. So perhaps it is key that she uh, must be under the authority of the man, not silence. Um, I, I think, you know, two things there um, with that. Hang on one second. Um, first, um, I love the fact that he brought up the vow deal. 
Mm -hmm. I've used that, quite frankly, and, uh, and it just makes perfect sense. If a wife or a daughter underage um, makes a vow, the husband can annul it, the father can annul it in the day that he hears of it. But of course, if he doesn't act like a man and he waits, delays, then you know, he's lost the opportunity. Um, that's cool. I see that not as putting a woman down or not giving her her right to speak or so forth, but I see it as protection provided by God mm -hmm. because they tend to be more emotional than we are because we're idiots, quite frankly. Um, as far as uh, Deborah um, or Miriam, the scripture clearly indicates that both of these had a position of either leadership or something along those lines. Miriam was a prophetess, and Deborah was a judge. She was a judge of, of uh, Israel. So um, that's uh, important to remember. Greg, uh, who is choosing to text me rather than using the, uh, the mixer chat option, uh, says that the context is specific to prophecy, not teaching or speaking necessarily, and if she has permission from her authority. And uh, I think that's an important point. The scripture makes it clear that we are all, all of us, even Micah, are under some authority. You know, if you're a head of household, then you're under Messiah. Uh, from a civil perspective, you're under the county in which you live, and you're under, you know, and I would love to be able to shoot a 9mm in my backyard. I am unable to do so. Because it's against the law, and I'm under authority, and the law says I can't do that. Simple as that. I can go to the range, but I cannot shoot on my own property, which is shocking to me, but I'm a man under authority. Same thing with the woman. She's under that, and Paul goes through that. Messiah is under God, and the man is under Messiah, and the woman is under the, the yeah. man. All right, so I got you, and then I got you, and then I got you, and then I got you. You. And in the assembly, and when they're prophesying, and they're weighing the matter, yes. and so if a woman stands up after the man, and then says something contradictory to what the man just said. Ooh. She's now judging the man and disrespecting him. That's exactly right. And I feel that, I, I think it goes back to God created man and then pulled woman out of man. Yeah. You like I, I literally just pulled that up. Okay. And, and then in Genesis chapter 3, the after... The, the fruit and everything, he says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. There you go. Yeah. So, that's, that's good. That, yeah. That's good. I, I can tell you from personal experience that I've never been so embarrassed for a man as I have been when I've been in an assembly where the man says something and then his wife stands up and says virtually the opposite. I mean, it's so embarrassing for him. This is not the unity. I think that should be exemplified in the body. Um, and I, I'm grateful for my own wife. And, uh, and I know you are for yours. And I know you are for yours. Um, they, would, they would, I know you are for yours. Uh, I know you are for yours. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. You guys, don't even think about it. Um, I, they just would never do that, deliberately. Right? I mean, they would... Um, if they disagreed, and my wife often disagrees with me when I'm, when I'm being an idiot. Um, sometimes when I'm not being an idiot, but most of the time when I'm being an idiot. 
um, but she will pull me aside and it gives me an opportunity to come back to you and or whoever whatever was in the incident and say hey you know I was um, corrected and it was my wife and she was right I was wrong let me rephrase let me retract let me redesign what I said and um, in, in so doing she's lifted up I'm lifted up you're edified it's a great thing mm -hmm. but when the man stands up and then the woman stands up yeah. contradicts up I mean now we've got everybody feeling bad and you know it's just it's a tough deal who is next I, I lost track yes sir go ahead I think um, there are I think this would still apply in our culture and our setting I mean obviously it's God's word so sure. Timeless. Um, but I think we have different kinds of gatherings and congregations where there would be times where it would be inappropriate and then there would be times where it's completely appropriate I know even our fellowship sure. at my house we we're more where everyone speaks sure. and, but it's because we're all in agreement on that and sure well I think it's even more than that um, in our portion discussion and, and here our women are very studied yeah absolutely sure <laughs> so with the, and, and I don't the think little cultural difference there too between yeah. what and, Alex was saying and I don't think in this context it has anything to do with how studied they are right again I well, think Greg Upham's right about it's, the authority. it's a matter yeah. of authority right yeah. um, so in our portion discussion here about it's just like yours you know when you guys get together for your community it's we want everyone to participate and give their thoughts and you know uh, Janice Spurlock Suzanne Martin um, Morgan Bartos they all are are giving their things I think I think your bride was was very vocal in our last one Andy was you know sharing her heart and where she was coming from there's no problem with that and you're right I don't think that's what he's talking about and I think Greg Upham's nailed it here it really comes down to a matter of authority it's not you're not allowed to talk sorry <laughs> check and your mouth at the back door because you can't come in here you know that's not what he's saying the only authority man has to rule anything is God's authority it's not really the man's authority right right yeah. so it's a matter of respect it's his and it's in it's in certain contexts in this matter of authority here who's going to speak for the house right and that's that's where I think Paul's coming from and if if we need to do a class when we're done on on Judaism's lifting up of women beyond any faith or culture you can find women are venerated to the point of this is really getting old guys it's they are constantly up at the top they are I mean what what are we doing on uh, on Arab Shabbat with the whole Proverbs 31 and Eshet Kyle and you know we just want to lift you up and make it clear you are a somebody you are so good at what you do you are great and we would die if you weren't here you know and by the way if you weren't here we wouldn't have lived you know it's a it's a whole deal there so good I'm, I'm glad I think we have a, a healthy perspective there and I feel good about it if I can and yeah, more please. Yeah. Um, and this is just going to be a little bit of my opinion, what's scriptural 
backing, yeah. um, just to put the context there. I would say anytime a man fails to reach that spiritual level, whether it's in a family, a group, or a nation, just as Yeshua said, I will, even if the rocks have to cry out, they will do so. He, in a, if Israel was a deprived nation of men who do not listen to the call of God, if he has to raise up a woman to do so, to turn them back, he will. Which he did. And it, it's, yeah, and it's a shame on the man yeah, for not heeding that call that's exactly that he right. had to reach out to the woman yes. to do so. And we see this actually in Judges with regards to Dana and Barak. He just came to her for guidance. Right. How should I go? And she told him. Then she said, go. And he said, no, not if you don't, if you come. And he basically put himself under that authority. That's right. As a result, she prophesied a curse over him. Because you have said this and you wanted me, a woman shall take that's your blessing. Right. That's exactly right. And that's a and perfect, she'll get the glory. Yeah, she should, yeah your glory yeah. for that. And that was her basically reprimanding him for not trusting himself as a man of authority unto God to do the, um, the I agree. action and submitted to her. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah no question. Great. I think uh, one of our, uh, you know, I just... Uh, uh, I just told uh, I got you. I just told uh, Jonathan a couple weeks ago that uh, I really wanted to make it a, a practice to not just say, you know, a wise man once said, where there was somebody in Talmud that said, but I really wanted to quote the guy, and I have no idea who said this, um, but uh, he said, we have a weak nation because we have weak families. We have weak families because we have weak men. Simple as that. Um, I believe that with all my heart. And uh, if we could just get men to act like men, as Paul is going to say later on, uh, I think we would be a whole lot better off. Unfortunately, uh, Canada, not the United States, not far behind. Canada just uh, ruled that on your Canadian passport where it says gender, you can just put X and uh, not have a gender identified. What? They have 14 different genders in Canada right now. Um, I saw you. Did you have something or no? You're okay? Um, I know I've <laughs> I got you. there are only two. Yeah, well, yeah, the there you heck? go. Ah, Greg Upham is actually in the chat here, and he says, remember, if a woman misspeaks, it is on the authority that is of her husband, not the woman just like the vow. If she says wrong, it's on the husband, not on her. Uh, it forces the husband to have confidence and trust in his wife if he allows her to speak in the congregation. And, and I agree with that. I think Greg's exactly right. You know, when, when Cindy talks, you know, it's, it's because you've got trust in her to not quiet her down and figure out what she's going to say, because you already know she studied the scripture and she's there. Same with Suzanne, with Andy and Morgan and so forth. You can let them talk in the in the congregation because they're not going to lead anyone astray, which would be on you if they did so. Um, so that's cool. Yes. Sir. But um, the the fact that this verse is so controversial, because I do agree, or this these passages, yeah, it also speaks to our I think the misuse of power. Yeah. You know, I, I loved uh, there's that one blessing in the mornings that uh, that says, you know, blessed are you Lord God for not making me a woman. Yeah. And Rabbi David Foreman, 
just did the most spectacular drosh on that thing. And it flips everything on its head. Because it's similar, that, that particular blessing is, yeah. is similarly controversial to Paul's words here. Uh, but the whole thing is like completely reverse of what everybody interprets that to be. And it's all about how being a servant leader is is really tough. Yeah. That's the hardest sure. type of yeah, thing. You can be you have a jerk and be in charge. That's but easy. that's right. But that's because like the woman is so much more important. Yeah. Like we're the ones that go out to war. They're the ones that stay because they're the ones that are important. We need to keep them that's right. safe. And they can, and they can raise the kids and keep that generational faithfulness and keep going. It going. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So exactly right. so that it, it just flips everything around to point to the most important part of the household is the wife mm -hmm. and as so the the man who's in authority is really that that is a very tough role that's not a role that should be wielded and, and lorded yeah. over yeah. anybody you know right. and and i think we see even this how paul specifically calls out this whole idea of like learning and teaching it reminded me of um ephesians 5 where the charge to husbands is this whole concept of washing your wife in the word, you know, word, yeah. with the word. And, and I think that that sums it up so well is it's like, in addition to having all the other responsibilities of protection and everything, we are also responsible for ensuring that there is a continuity in learning within our homes. Right. So that exactly right. I mean, because even uh, I just picked up some John Gill commentary and he said the exact same thing. If, if a woman is in a congregation or something like that and and is well versed absolutely she can speak as much as yeah. she needs to you know that that's not an issue so and that would only happen if if like you we've just been saying a man is confident that his his teaching has permeated the household that everybody yeah. is in they're they're one accord yeah. one they're they're a unit rabbi Mayer, his wife Berea, um was was known to give commentary and direction on the Torah constantly. And she was well known for doing so and regarded as a sage. Her name was Berea? Yeah, it was Berea or Berea or something like that. Yeah, I think it was Berea. Berean. No, not Berean, but Berea. Um, yeah, it's cool. Um, out of the deal. Alright, let's move on and uh, we can finish up. Uh, would someone read uh, verse 37 of chapter uh, 14? Verse 37, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Can anybody tell me what Paul is, to what Paul is referring? What, what is it that, it's, that is a command? He specifically, was he referenced Scott prophets? If anybody thinks he's a prophet? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if anybody obviously knows where God is coming from, he must acknowledge that what Paul is writing is a command. What <coughs> was he writing that he would be concerned about be considered a command? My first thought was Deuteronomy 13. Ah, it's Baruria. Thank you, Joshua. Baruria, yeah. That's what I get for not reading it right before we have class. At least I knew her name started with a B. D. All right, so what's Paul talking about? What's, what's, uh, what is he... I mean, we have to remember, throughout this, this letter to them, 
he's made it clear what four or five times I, this is this is just my opinion you know this is not from the Lord well this is from me not from him you know so he's really careful about that but in this case he brings the hammer down this this the things I'm writing are a command what is it that is a Anybody? You were going to mention Deuteronomy chapter 13? Yeah, Deuteronomy 13. As for the prophet or dreamer, dream diviner, he shall be put to death, for he urged disloyalty to the Lord your God. That's that's where my mind first went to. How to identify? How to identify a false prophet. Okay, so give me the verse in 1 Corinthians that Paul is saying is a command. Yeah, that's a command for the Lord. Okay. Now remember, I mean, the prophets regularly gave us elucidation on the Torah. The Torah would say, you shall not go out of your place on the Sabbath. But we find in the prophets, it says that we should not buy or sell. You actually see that in uh, Nehemiah, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Ezra, and these things. So we get further clarification of what the, what the command means. So it's fine for Paul to do the same thing and give us some elucidation, some clarification on some command. What command is that? Two or more, is that hmm? And let two or more prophets speak, let one, um, let the other discern, is that what you're trying to get with? I am not trying to get anywhere, okay. I just want to find out what Paul meant. Okay, I guess at prophets. Prophets? Where? No, I'm saying I don't think he is aiming. Oh, okay. His, his, what he's saying at prophets, I think he's just saying if anyone is discerning, know that I'm speaking God's word. Okay, so less of a specific deal, but rather, if you're a prophet or you're spiritual, you should be able to tell, you should be able to discern that what I'm saying is from the Lord. I can get that. So to what is he referring? Maybe he's being specific to something. Well, it's got to be something he just said then, right? So are we talking about verse 36? And uh, 37, or are we talking before that? As in all the churches of the holy ones, the women should keep silence in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, and so on. As the law also says. I took it back to 14.1. Wow, we're going all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. I know I've got a button that can take me there. Let me see if I can do that. Bam! Look at that. Oh, that's 13. 14.1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. So you think he's bringing it back to that? I, I, I thought so, because in, in 39, you know, in, I just read 37, 38 said, you know, if you don't recognize this, and, then you know, you're basically worthless. 
39 then comes back and points back to that same to the very beginning that he started continuation of that thought so my brothers here's what here's what you need to know and what he says there in 39 is almost a verbatim repeat of yeah. what he said in one and then he clarifies and says so you should earnestly desire this but everything needs to be in order it needs to be a decorum if you will we need to know what's going on here this blabbering around in tongues and so forth is not going to cut it. And if you're going to prophesy, it's going to be talking about the folks that are here, not the fact that Russia is going to get a nuclear thing and get North Korea to, you know, bomb Guam or something like that. I I can work with that. I can work with that. And that builds on because he uses instruments and example. They're dead instruments. They can make beautiful sound, but if they don't have no distinction, they're worthless. Right. So the whole chapter is dealing with prophecy, how that is relation to being in the right order, and then also how it relates to tongues and that being in the right order. I think everything is dealing with how to go about it properly or appropriately. Yeah, yeah. and I, I love the verse in uh, 33 where he says, for God is not a God of confusion, confusion of chaos. but of peace. Right, good. Because that's, that's what the order creates, right. is right. peace. Peace. And Joshua says the same thing. You know, He's thinking it's the whole thing like you, the, the it's prophecy, which is what the whole chapter is about. Um, that that would be preeminent, and that would be where there's order and not chaos. Cool, good. I uh, I think you you guys are right on track, and I love it. All right, let's finish up here. First uh, Corinthians 15. We're not going to talk about it, but gosh, guys. Um, I think that if you are prior to this class, if you have not read 1 Corinthians 15 recently or ever, which is certainly possible, and you're not familiar with Paul's argument on the resurrection, then you need to recognize if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are being duped and we are most to be pitied because we are slumps. There's no two ways about it. This is stupid for us to restrain ourselves from what we would call wickedness or frivolity, or I could go on and on. And Paul is like, we're doing this. We live this way because he was raised from the dead. It wasn't a cold slab that caused him to get chilly and kind of pass out for a while. And you know, he got up and walked away he was dead, he was buried, and he was raised in glory by the power of the Father. And that is the, the fundamental of our faith. Whether or not you want to argue whether Yeshua was God or simply a man is a different argument. Whether you want to argue whether or not he knew the things of God as a child, they could turn stones into birds, as it says in some of the apocryphal writings, is a different story. Whether you believe that he knew the thoughts of men, even though he had reduced himself from the Godhead to man, is another issue. Whether or not he was really God, and not just an incredible man, filled overflowing with the Spirit is another issue entirely. Whether or not he died 
and was raised incorruptible because he was without sin and that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father is fundamental to our faith. And if you don't believe that, then you have no place in the world to come. And we'll see next week as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Then the veil is over your head. You cannot see the telos, the end, the goal of the Torah is Messiah Yeshua and his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. You are not saved. You are not a new creature in Christ. You will die in your sins if you do not believe in the resurrection. I don't know that I can put it any more clearly. It is the fundamental of our faith. But I digress. What do you think? Yeshua said there shall be only one sign to the unbelieving nation, and that is the sign of Jonah. Is it? Just as he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so the Son of Man shall be in the belly of the earth three, three days and, and three, three nights. nights. Amen. So that is the only sign he's given. There it is. I've been trying to think about like his... Because when I read through his description of like what that looks like, I found myself being like that person that was like, "How does that work?" And then you know, Paul has a very strong <laughs> answer, like, "Come on, doesn't everybody know this?" <laughs> and you're like, "This is so complicated." <laughs> but I mean, his his analogy of the grain was really helpful. But yeah. then, I mean, it gets really mystical really quickly. Yeah. Well, he's a mystical about being. like I mean. I, I've, I've been really mulling over in my head verse 44 of chapter 15 where he says it is, it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body yes. if there is a natural body yes. there is also a spiritual body is there a natural body? But there's what, a, do you, what do you call this? No, no, but that's the thing there's a natural body for everybody yes, there is which means that there's a spiritual body for everybody well, there can be for those that believe. But he's saying there's a spiritual body for everybody, even those who don't believe, because some will perish. Some will burn. Some will be in everlasting punishment. Because if there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Right. There is a place for everyone. Yeah. Future. It's probably just because I've been I've, like thinking about this. Uh, I've heard a couple different people talk about this whole concept of like there being layers mm -hmm. to reality mm -hmm. and one mm -hmm. theory is that there is a parallel reality that is spiritual and verses like this make you think like oh wow maybe Paul is like actually really onto something that is very very deep and, and kind of hard to understand so if I can see the spinning top I know that this is the real one yeah, well right the like yeah. that th this is kind of just like I mean we know we know that this is just perishing of course this isn't eternity right here correct you know but to think about the fact that we could be somewhere else at the same time mm. in a more spiritual reality yeah. and that's the reality that we're all working towards mm. that we're looking forward to that we're praying that we'll be with 
Yeshua. Yeah. Um, and then just as David says in Psalm 27, you know, just that to dwell in your house sure. all the days. Yeah. You know, so um, I, I'll argue against the concept of an alternate reality um, simply by saying that God clearly wants us to perceive the reality with the senses with which he designed. But one of the not, senses he not, designed is like this, this thing called the soul. That's not a sense. But it's, there is, but that's, there is a soul. But we're no not question. drawn to God by any of the five senses. We're drawn to really? God by yeah. The heavens declare the glory of God. Really? That doesn't mean that means a blind person has they they also have a the a, an ability to believe. Well, while you're talking about the blind person, let's talk about the ninety-eight percent of the population that aren't blind. The heavens declare the glory of God. They certainly do. Okay. So that means that my sight is going to recognize the glory of God. Yes? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, you know where he's coming from, though. Of course. <laughs> of course I do. Hang on. We're being, we're being drawn by many strings, right? Yes. So that's his point. So Joshua says, there is a consequence for how we live. This is combating the Sadducean belief of no resurrection, and the debauchery of eat, drink, and tomorrow we die. But that's not where you're coming from. You're mm -hmm. saying that it's all so mystical that I can't really know or reality. Less about that, less about that. That yeah. it's so mystical yeah. that it just makes us that much more in awe of the relationship with God. That it's like so much bigger. I guess that's that's something that I've been considering recently. Is it's, I, it's less about like, Oh wow, that's kind of kooky and weird, and you know, there's this quantum, all this, all this extra stuff. But it's more like a a fascination and wonder at the possibilities that we can't even, with our minds, consider. I, I, I'm. I'll let's let's leave it at this. I can grant you that God is transcendent. He is above and beyond anything I can comprehend. I get that. God is that way, but I don't think He made man that way. I think he made man so that we could perceive reality and we could yearn for him. Not yearn for some alternate reality that we can't really see or touch, but we would yearn for him. And if we are to come to God as children, as our master said, with the faith of a child, then I don't think it demands some super quantum leap into a fascinating altered reality that makes me recognize that someday you know if i contemplate the you know apricot pit long enough i may actually understand who god is. i don't think that's i don't think that's where he's at even though that's where some of the mystics are um i find it extraordinarily refreshing greg hang on i got what you said um i find it extraordinarily refreshing to, uh, to sit with, for example, uh, Rabbi Rappaport, who's not mystic. He's not Hasid. He's just a down-to-earth Orthodox man. Boom. And I gotta tell you, after being steeped in Chabad and the Gutnik and all the rest of it, which I love and I think is great, this man is so down to reality and so in love with God, and so honestly 
human. It gives me hope that there is a possibility that I can know my God more and yet not have to get weird. You're already weird. Er. <laughs> gotcha! According to Gopala, see, he loves you. According to Kabbalah, there are four spiritual worlds. Oh, I got it. I got on my glasses. Gee, Greg, come on. Um, Atzilut, Berea, Yesod, and Malchut. We live in the physical world of Malchut. The fullness of God most fully perceived is Atzilut. Hashem constricts himself more through each world with the goal of allowing us to perceive him in some way in our natural world. I can't deny that. It's bizarre, especially to a non-Jew who grew up in Brooklyn. I mean, that's all I can say, right? Um, But I have, as my son has, with Greg, studied these things. And it does fit. It does work. And if you... uh, are reading as Greg brought us through probably three, four, five years ago through the Pirkei Avot and each week providing us with a deeper insight into the character traits of God with Gevura and all of these things or Gevura um, you, you, you recognize that there's probably more than we get that notwithstanding there's still, as there always is when we get down to the sod level in the Pardes, the Peshat. The plain, simple deal here, I think we need to keep in mind, is that God loves us, wants a relationship with us, and sent his son to die for us. And that if we believe, as Abraham believed in faith, simple as that, nothing to do with how much we know, Nothing to do with who our parents are or what country they were born in or what, you know, uh, race they were or whatever. We could have communion with him and have a place with him in the world to come. Simple as that. That's a simple gospel message. This is the good news. Amen? Amen. Um, And, of course, as Greg writes, um, Judaism has a basis for everything he just said in the Tanakh which uh, as I said I don't deny it's, it is great stuff Alex final comment yeah. on that topic I would say um, the existence of God is an obvious and natural conclusion to the reflective mind only fool says in his heart there is no God Amen. from the beginning of creation God's invisible qualities his divine nature his eternal power has been known and is evident in that which is created so that no man is without excuse. I love it when they quote it. Well done. Yeah. Even the Torah talks about the two witnesses, heaven and earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, the only thing I was going to say about this is I don't think it's a mistake that Paul gets a little mystical when he's talking about this topic. I agree. And resurrection, <coughs> I think, is just, it's one of those things yeah. where it's like, I, I, I think it's cool that he goes there in this 
area. Yeah. Because you're right. Absolutely. There is this this very plain, clear faith that, that you could explain to my five-year-old daughter. Amen. And she gets it. Yes. But then when it talks, I, I think it's just cool that he choo- he picks his times when he wants to go deep. And he, he's, and, he's, going, he's going kind of mystical here. And, and the, the beauty of it is, direction. it's cool. He can go deep mm-hmm. because he's been trained to go deep. And that's the beauty of Paul. And that's why Peter said he's sometimes hard to understand because he can do that deep dive, just like Greg Upham does from time to time. And your head goes, what, what did he say? And you know, you're like, man, I'm glad we recorded this so I can listen to this guy a couple of times over and over because, man, that was heavy, but it was beautiful. I mean... My heart is swelled with the beauty of what I just heard in the teaching. It was great, right? So I get it. I'm not trying to, to discount the mysticism, but I, I want us to recognize that if you're talking to a Jew, that might really work pretty well. If you're talking to a non-Jew like us, what's the bottom line here, guys? And the bottom line is the love that surpasses all understanding. First Corinthians chapter 16, we close with, I gave you a uh, question in the study guide. Notice that Paul recommends putting aside funds on the first day of the week for the collection being raised for those in Jerusalem. I actually, uh, if you'll recall, probably five years ago, was uh, sort of questioned in my belief about practicing Judaism by a very, very strong Christian. And it had to do with the Sabbath. And his first take was, he opened with, well, God made the Lord's Day Hmm. Sunday because that's the day on which he was raised. So that's the day on which we should worship. And I questioned back in the subsequent email, well, where does it say that in the Word of God? And while we're looking for that in the apostolic scriptures, can you show me anywhere in the in the Torah or the Tanakh where you know we're open to change the Word of God, change the laws of God, change His commandments? I'm thinking just off the top of my head of some of those things that if anyone adds to or takes away. This is not a, a good thing for him or his family. Yeah, yeah. And we went back and forth, like, I guess, what was it, six, seven times. I mean, I could, we could barely get through all of the dissertation he and I had had in one man of Torah class. And he was coming from what I now would characterize as church traditions on how to keep the faith. Um, and defending them, I think, very, very well. But here I was, simple man of God, just looking at the Word of God and saying, well, this is, this is what God says. So I find it very astonishing in this case that, God, that Paul would mention that the collection would be taken on the first day of the week rather than on the Sabbath, if in fact, the Lord's Day was the Sabbath. Scratch that. Um, how should I say that? That the first day of the week was the Lord's Day. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, so from a, from
from a walkthrough looking for halakhic changes or what we should do as non-Jews versus what Jews should do. Um, that one stuck out to me. I don't know if it did to you, but um, I did want to bring that up. Take a look at those last two questions. Greg uh, Upham says, uh, here is uh, the real mystery, a complex, unending God can be understood at a level that a young child gets. That's a paradox indeed. And I agree. That's, that's truly astonishing. And of course, only God uh, can, can do something like that. Uh, therefore, in our study and desire for the deeper things of Hashem, as Scripture admonishes us to pursue, we must always maintain a childlike faith. Seems like we've read somewhere something like that. All right, anything on these uh, last two questions? We talked about if he was not raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, his words can be paraphrased as be vigilant, persevere in the faith, be brave, and prevail. And if I think in your, in your version, you probably have, act like a man. <laughs> Coming right back to the whole, can the women speak and so forth. It really is. In our faith, to be a man is different than being a woman. They are decidedly different. And for those that are living in the times where, no, 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 it's okay. You can choose what gender you want to be. That sort of denies God's design. Or worse, to think that men and women are the same. If you think men and women are the same, you obviously aren't married, or I, I mean, I would say perhaps you're delusional, but that would be a biased statement. I, they are different. There's very little about them that are even alike. Hmm? Well, scientifically, it's a it's a mental illness to have these gender issues. Mm. Um, they're when you they're, they're working kids. on taking it out of the books. Sure. But, but it's still you, in the books. You and I, when you and I were kids, this was called deviant behavior. The fact that they've taken it out of the books or they're working on taking it all out of the books does not deny the fact that it's still deviant behavior. Mm. And it used to be more recognized. <laughs> and you used to be able to make fun of people like that so that they would change their behavior. When I was a boy, you called the kid Fatso, so he would lose weight. Is that why you called him Fatso? Yeah. <laughs> Harry Moretis. Guy was as big as my car. <laughs> he would ride me to school on the handlebars of his bike. Because he was trying to lose weight. Why? Because everybody called him Fatso! <laughs> right? And he did lose weight. Doesn't mean you should call people fat, so. Yeah, it's not politically correct, <laughs> and it's not kind. I'm sure. But to have a quiet conversation with a friend and help him to recognize that he might be putting more stress on his heart than he might want to, that he might not get the opportunity to live quite as long with his loved ones because of his inability to uh, repair physically and so forth, is certainly a loving response. 
So there it is. Okay, final comments as we uh, close up here. Uh, you had mentioned, Mr. You had mentioned Malachic things. Yeah, and did one, you see other ones? Well, just like a random one yeah. that I don't even know if this counts, but I, I was thinking about uh, in back in 14, verse 16. He says, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So there's, there's a bit of a hint, I think, to a, a halakha, a point of halakha there. Because mm. that is halakhic. Right, to say I mean. So, if you hear anybody, even, yeah. even a little bit, somewhere randomly saying a blessing, you say I mean. That's it. It's, it's a thing, you know, yeah, it, especially in Judaism and, and also in the church. I mean, yeah, that was a big yeah. thing, right? Everybody Absolutely. should say I mean after, right, right, right. Or amen Absolutely. after yeah. someone gives a prayer. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think this is kind of an interesting little reference to that. Where he's sort of using this halakhic point to prove a different point, which is you need to understand when someone's talking. In case this happens, you if the halakha says you need to say amen. How did you know if it? But anyway, that's uh, it's, it's a cool. No, 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 it's great. It's a cool thing for us to keep in mind. It is. That is. Uh, that is good. I, I do want you to recognize that we have words that are translated, translated, right, from one language to another. Right? That means it, it was written in one language and we read it in another language. And then there's our other words that are transliterated. This means that we can't translate it because there's nothing in this other language that has it. So we make up a new word by transliterating the word. And believe it or not, in English, there is or was no amen it is transliterated directly from the Greek which was transliterated directly from the Hebrew it is amen it has never been amen or amen these are both incorrect pronunciations of the transliterated word amen no. All right. Wow. Yeah, well, what can you do? Mr. Martin, you've been uh, decidedly quiet, but uh, expressive nonetheless. I wonder. Just if, waiting for the opportunity. There it is. So I wonder if you would, uh, uh, if you would bless my, my new grandson. I'm grateful for uh, both Joshua and, uh, and Greg for participating from afar. And. Uh, Greg, we're praying probably more for you than Joshua, just because you're in Manhattan. God bless you in, in New York. Holy cow. I'm not sure who needs it more. Than yeah, Manhattan. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Joshua, we're grateful that you're staying with your bride and your new son. And uh, just wish uh, the whole family well there. Um, go ahead and close this book. Well, we are very thankful for the opportunity to, to be here tonight. To, uh, to look into your word and to understand uh, those things that you uh, had Paul uh, reduce to writing so that we could have them uh, and be able to learn and understand and, and, uh, and apply them to our lives. We do pray that you would uh, bless uh, Greg and his time in New York and may it be profitable, keep his family uh, safe uh, while he is apart from them. Uh, Father, we also continue to thank you for the uh, new life that you've brought into the Spurlock household. Uh, Richard Ezekiel, what a uh, blessing it was to participate 
at the uh, uh, at the circumcision last week, um, and uh, we look forward, Father, to his uh, years ahead in, in growing and learning and, and uh, being a part of our fellowship, our congregation. Uh, we especially look forward to uh, watching and observing uh, Joshua and Juliana as they raise and train him. Uh, uh, thank you, Father, for giving them that opportunity mm. and that privilege. Yes. Uh, we pray, Father, for a great rest of the week with our families. We pray all these things in the name of Yeshua, our risen Savior and Messiah. Amen. 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 I do want to remind you uh, that we have a community service uh, this Shabbat. And of course, our friends in the other community are always welcome. We'd love to have you. And um, remember that Tashlik is coming up, so clear those times, those dates. Um, if you're uh, blowing a shofar, um, I, I hope that you'll bring the shofar with you. And um, if you haven't looked at it, next week's lesson, um, yeah, originally in the, in the reading schedule that uh, Gregory's been trying to watch, um, we had three weeks to go through 2 Corinthians, and we're doing it in one lesson. So read 2 Corinthians in its entirety tomorrow. It's 13 chapters. It's not that long. Just read through it, and you're going to read through some stuff there, and you're going to go, huh? Just keep reading. <laughs> Just read through it. Then on Wednesday, read through the whole thing again. 13 chapters. You take it less than 10 minutes. It's easy. <laughs> and then here, you read it through again on Friday. And then I want you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I hope that next week is going to be a watershed moment for all of you. As we go through this, I'm using Tim Hague's What's So New About the New Covenant. Uh, if you haven't listened to that teaching, I, I listen to it at least once or twice a year. It's spectacular. And he's going to drill out from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I will do that with you next week as we walk through... Here's, a, here's, here's something. In a lot of Bibles, you got that white page between the Tanakh and the Apostolic Scriptures. And many times, depending on the version, <coughs> that white page says New Covenant. Meaning that what you just finished reading was the Old, Old Covenant. Covenant. How many times does the phrase Old Covenant appear in the entire Bible? Once. One time. Where? Second Corinthians chapter 3. So we'll be going through that. New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, the only time of the Tanakh. The Master talks about, this is my blood of the New Covenant. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 repeats that as a quote. Hebrews chapter 8 repeats it again as a quote. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3 has New Covenant as well. Let's just find out, what is the Old Covenant? What is the New Covenant? And what is Paul talking about? It's going to be a great class. But you must read the Scripture before you come. Promise me. You promise? Yes. No plans tomorrow. There you go. That's one time through. you got to go through that a couple of times. But chapter 3, that's the deal, right? Where's your brother? He had to stay home. Is he okay? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right, guys. Get out of here so we can go to